0: The scripture reading for our sermon this morning is the book of Acts, chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And, we, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized them, he put them in prison He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for um, once again, through the grace that you have for us, giving us a passage that is pointing us straight towards you. Thank you that uh, you care for your people and that through your word today, you desire to instruct us, to, to teach us, to deepen us in our love for you. And to be able to understand and know exactly what you have for us to be and to do and to know so that we may glorify you more and more with our lives. That's what we long for. So Father, please speak through your spirit. Um, Have mercy on us this morning, we pray in Christ our Savior. Amen. Well, good morning. morning. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see you all here. Uh, I notice no one's wearing their grubbies to go to do demo. So if you need to go home, that's totally fine. Um, Tom Zylstra, welcome from Chattanooga. I didn't even see you guys. That's fantastic. Visitors. Um, If this is your first week, we're so glad you're with us. We are a church that goes through books of the Bible a lot, uh, and we're in the book of Acts. And this is an entire series, an entire book that talks about what it means for the church in its unique way. To bear witness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's the only thing that this organization, this church thing that God has put into place, can do that no other place can do. And so we've been walking with God as He leads us through the many stories, the many moments in the life of this budding church. Uh, the passage that Chris had just uh, just read uh, captures three particular arenas, three three particular contrasts. Um, you see, you see James dying and you see Peter being rescued. You see people earnestly praying and earnestly doubting. And you see Herod in all of his glory and pomp dying, and God's glory in his gospel going forward. So you have all these unique little contrasts, and what's amazing is that the center, central figure of this particular passage is none other than Peter who, of course, has been fantastic to experience through the book of Acts. If you've read the Gospels, he's maybe the most entertaining character in all of the Bible, in my humble opinion. He's central to this particular story, but he writes an epistle later on. And and he, he grabs one of the Psalms, Psalm 34, and he writes this. He says in 1 Peter 3, 12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, what I'm convinced is that um, Peter, having read Acts chapter 12, was like, I should pull a psalm that's going to give us an outline for how we preach a sermon. And that's what Peter did for us this morning. So this morning, we're going to look at three points under all three of those headings. That God sees our trials, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. That God hears our prayers, and his ears are open to their prayer. And that God deals with his enemies, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. First, God sees our trials for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. When you think about um, the apostle James and his death, it's impossible to escape the moment that um, James had with his brother, John, two of the disciples with Jesus. They brought their mama along and they asked Jesus, can, can we sit in heaven in the new kingdom at your right hand and at your left hand? And uh, Jesus said, it's not for me to grant that. Instead, what Jesus says, he turned their minds and their heart and he said, I want to make something very clear. There is no glory without suffering. There is no glory without suffering. And so in this moment, at the beginning of chapter 12, we see that James, the brother of John, is the first martyr of the apostles. He's the first of all the 12 to be killed, and he's killed by the sword. And it's such a popular move by Herod who loves popular acclaim. Unlike all the other Herods who basically just didn't care what people thought and were basically brutes, he's like a popular opinion kind of president, uh, you know, king, And uh, which I guess all presidents are now popular opinion, right? Um, but he, he wants people's acclaim. And, and so he puts James to death and everyone claps. I mean, everyone is so excited. Everyone's so delighted. The Jews are saying, this is the kind of ruler we want to have over us. And it's about 12 to 13 years after the death and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Somewhere between 10 and and 12 years after Jesus has died and the church has begun. So we're kind of in this budding church season. And the church has been a problem for many Jews. And so they're very excited. And by golly, if it's exciting to have James get killed, let me take Peter out too, Herod thinks. and So he arrests Peter. God allows and permits Herod to put him in prison, and he puts him around with with four sets of four guards that are on a rotating shift. He's heard that maybe there's been some escapes in the past. If you've been with us in Acts, Peter's kind of gotten out of prison a couple times. And so Herod's like, listen, fool me once, right? But I'm not going to be like the others. I'm going to make sure that you stay where I put you. So the question, if you read this, you think, okay, wow, so James dies, and then Peter's put in prison. And of course, if you read on, you see that Peter gets rescued. And it's, it's if, with integrity. The only way you can read this passage is you have to ask the question: Why does James get killed and Peter get rescued? Right? I mean, how come James? They're both great apostles. They're, it's not like James is like the runt of the litter. and It's like you know what? Knock off the weak. It's not like that. It's not like that. Why does Peter get rescued and why does why does James get beheaded by the sword? They're dedicated. The only possible answer to this is that the sovereignty of God governs these moments. that God sees both James and sees Peter, and he moves and acts towards them for his glory in his sovereign will. God allows Herod to kill James. It's the only possible answer, but he kept him from harming Peter. It's one of those moments in the scriptures where we see that it's the throne of heaven that governs all things, not the throne of earth. And it's an essential reminder to us, especially as we remind one another, that no matter how difficult our trials, how disappointing the news we get, that, that, that God is still on the throne and everything is under his control and that it will not always go the way that we want it to go. But that we can know that in his sovereignty, in his perfect sovereign will, that he is good, that he is wise, and that he's loving. God rescued Peter from Herod. And what the Lord is showing Herod very clearly in this moment, and he's also showing the church, and frankly, he's showing us today, is that when James was martyred just a few days before, that that was not God asleep at the wheel. You see, by rescuing Peter out of prison, what God is declaring to you, to me, is that I rescue people. He's also declaring that I wasn't impotent when James died, that I'm under control, that I am sovereign, that I'm not weak or incompetent. It's not because I could not save him. It is indeed, though, to fulfill what Jesus did say to James. He said, that cup that I drink, you will also drink. And he did. And the pivotal principle is that some will bear witness through suffering and death, while others bear witness through life. Some will, some in this room bear witness through suffering, and some of you have borne witness through death. And, And some of us bear witness through life. This is why I love... John Piper, he's able to capture this. He says, God can release and God can sustain and empower in martyrdom. That is the point of releasing Peter and not James. God is in control over the little Herod in both cases. In fact, there is an extraordinary power in martyrdom and trials. Paul says in Philippians 1, 14, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my, Paul's imprisonment, so I'm in prison, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In other words, the suffering of Christian martyrs has a powerful spiritual effect on those who live. It puts us face to face with eternity. It draws us to the forefront, the reality of our faith. It strips away the petty pursuits and the trivial anxieties of our lives and it awakens us with the same zeal. And this is precisely why Tertullian, one of the second century theologians uh, under tons of persecution for the church said, oh, actually, this is what he actually said. He said this to his enemies that were trying to kill him. He said, we multiply ourselves whenever we are mown down by you. The blood of the Christian is the seed of the church. So it isn't that God has dropped the ball with James, but, like, but he held it together with, with Peter. God wastes nothing. He weaves everything. And he does so not only for his glory, but for the advancement of his purposes. I was confronted with this probably the first time, gosh, it's been at least 10 years, 12 years, more than that, 13 years, um, John, John Chalk um, was his, Morgan Chalk's father and, and he passed away from, from cancer and it was, it was a pretty rapid process. He died from, from um, lung cancer and never smoked a day in his life. John is one of those people that was so just, he's a generous spirit. He's the kind of person you're with him and you find yourself li- leaving feeling like, I feel like someone just intentionally and purposely not only pursued me, but helped me see more of God and more of myself. He's just one of those people, you're, there's more of you when you leave. Do you know those kind of people? And John was mid-50s, right? Um, and slowly but quickly, he was taken. And I remember having gone over and played ping pong with John and gotten to spend a bunch of time. And he'd met, he was mentoring me. What are you doing, God? I don't understand this. this like he's one of the good guys. Like, how, how can this be? And, and wrestling with the why, probably for the first time in my life at that level, was someone that I just had a ton of respect for, and, and the loss of the family. And it was a prime of his life, yet his best years were ahead. And having to come back to, what does it mean to trust that God is weaving something here? And I know that it has not been an easy road for Morgan, it's not been an easy road for his siblings or for his mom. That God has been doing something in his redemptive purposes in it. And I, if, and I know Morgan and I spend time together. And he can't look at me and go, and it's for this. It's for, it, 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 this made it totally worthwhile. You don't have that story, right? That's not a real story yet. It may not be in this lifetime. And I'm, that's very, very possible. I, I don't have the answer, but I do know this. Is that God wasted nothing with John's life and, and wasted nothing in his death. And that's true for you and that's true for me. God rescues, God sees us in our trials. What's amazing is that God sees, sees Peter in this particular trial too. What's amazing if you capture this is that Peter is asleep. Now, I don't know about you, but if it was the night before I'm going to be beheaded, like the one thing I'm not doing is sleeping. Maybe, maybe you sleep well, chained to two guards. Um, but that, that's just not, I don't sleep well if like I have a job interview. I mean, like, you know, like if I'm in a different bed, so I can't imagine, you know, so Peter is sleeping. sound he's so sound asleep that when the angel comes, it literally says he struck him like, not like, Hey, Hey, no, no, like, you know, like, like you have to wake this guy up. He is sleeping. Why is, what is, what is happening here? How is, how is Peter asleep? This is a very different experience than Peter Peter had had in, um, in prison so far. This time he, he's all alone. Last time he was with John. The, the time after that he was with all the other disciples. Uh, so so he's all alone this time. He's also not being given this really clear purpose. The last time he was in there, he got to bear witness and tell tell the Sanhedrin and tell the leaders about this great Jesus. He gets no opportunity for that. So there's no clear sense of purpose of why why this is happening to him. It was also long. It was immediate the first two times. They got released the next day, and the next well, and they got literally let out the next day. And so, so suddenly this is taking some time. He was arrested, it seems like, before the Passover. And so you have a whole week, the week of un- the unleavened bread, that they're just waiting because you shouldn't kill anybody during that week. And so Herod and Peter are waiting for Sunday to come so they can take care of business. And so Peter is there. Things are different than they've been before. And yet something significant in his disposition emerges. Why does Peter have so much confidence? Well, one of the things that we can surmise from this is um, that he was being prayed for. That like has been true for many of you who've asked for people to pray for you in, in particular critical situations and you find yourself having conversations or, or having courage that's just not yours. It emerges, it's like it's coming, almost like it's coming from within. That the spirit of God being led from the people of God is having effect on the confidence, and so it's stirring and stimulating the the the, the scriptures that are deep in his whole, in his soul, like like Isaiah forty one ten. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So okay, so don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. Psalm four eight says, "In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord." make me dwell in safety. That's the that's the rehearsing of the soul that allows a man who's on the night before he's about to be beheaded or thinks he might be beheaded or it looks like he might be beheaded to trust in the Lord. But I, I, I'm surmising to a degree here, but I'm wondering if some of the reason why the main reason why Peter is, is a sleeping and not anxious, because again, I mean, can you sleep when you're anxious? Like, I don't know. I can't sleep when I'm anxious. Is that, Jesus had looked at him and said, the day is coming, in John 21, the day is coming, and uh, when you're old, they're going to take you places you don't want to go, and they're going to kill you. And so, to a degree, Peter is going, everything in the trajectory here looks bad. Tomorrow's the day, I've been here a week, if it was going to be like an angel breakout plan, that's like apparently on day one, like if you're lingering for seven days, something went wrong in the, you know, in the plan, and so, but he's like, something's coming. I don't know what, but something is coming. It reminds me of Abraham with Isaac. He didn't know how God was going to rescue. Maybe he was going to bring him back from the dead. He, he didn't know, but, but he knew God was going to rescue. And so he's, he's sleeping, waiting for whatever rescue looks like. And an angel appears. The Lord gave him peace and rest. He did not know how or when he would be delivered, but he knew that deliverance was coming. Peter was resting on the promises and the faithfulness of a God who sees him. His death or his life was in God's hands. It was not in Herod's hands. So it begs the question, whose hands are you in? Whose hands are you in? Are you in your boss's hands, in, your, in the government's hands, and the... Taxes you owe hands? As you look at the trials and the sufferings and the losses that have come into your life or that, that, that you're remembering or, or that you're staring at into the future, whose hands are you in? How are you facing them? To, to what degree are you laying hold of the promises and the faithfulness of God, of a God who says, I see you, and nothing can happen to you that is not going to come from Me, Nothing that you're going to face is not going to be something that for my good purposes. To what degree are you looking for rescue? Seeking it out, trying to see, is this the rescue of the Lord that I've been asking for, that I've been longing for? Not demanding the timing or the way in which it will come. Loved ones, God sees your trials. He's not blind to them. He knows and sees your loss, recent or long ago. And he knows the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And God also hears our prayers. Not only are his eyes on us, but the Lord hears our prayers. First Peter says, and his ears are open to their prayer. Uh, verse 5 said, of uh, Acts 12 says, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The phrase earnest prayer is really the, the hinge. It's the linchpin of where the entire story changes. That's the moment where everything goes in a different direction. We must never underestimate the power of prayer. That when the church prays, things happen Puritan preacher Thomas Watson said it this way. He said, the angel, the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. And you can imagine, it's, it's the 11th hour, right? I mean, it's, it's tomorrow is the day. It's the last minute. In the morning, he'll be executed, and, and Peter is sleeping, and then he gets, he gets awakened, God has heard the prayers. This angel beaming and shining. It, it, did you recognize, if you remember from the Christmas stories from Luke, you know, and behold, an angel of the Lord. And he said, get up. You know, it's a little different than the, than the Luke narrative with, uh, with the, but it's the same idea. It's like the angel saying, hey, we're going somewhere. Now all the, all the guards stay asleep. Miraculous movement by the spirit of God through his angel. And, and next thing you know, Peter's out the door now. For me, I look at the scene, and I, and I read the scene, and again, if you're going to think about it from a, just a, a purely materialistic standpoint, if you're, like, if, you're, if you're struggling with your faith, and you're thinking, like this, looks like, this sounds like Star Wars, you know, like, Obi-Wan walks in, like, doesn't even touch the door, but woo, the door opens, you know? We've all seen that. They aren't any, as good anymore, but, but we know what I'm talking about. The old, the old Obi-Wan, the old Obi-Wan, you know, he, he's way better. Um, but it, it's like, it, it, seems, it seems, it's not only miraculous, it seems mysterious. The chains are falling off. It's not like, no, no one's fiddling with a key. Gods moving towards him he's heard the cry of his people he's heard the entreaty of of Peter and he moves and Peter it takes Peter all the way until he's outside to realize oh this is actually Happening to me, I'm. I'm not just seeing a dream. I'm not just having a vision. This is truly happening to me right now. So he's he's kind of astonished. You can see it in his language, like "Whoa!" Now I really know that I've been rescued, which is amazing. I mean, it sounds so much like Peter. It's it's, it's just beautiful. What's awesome to me is actually what happens at the church. So they're having a prayer meeting. And they're at, at Mary, John Mark's mom's house. And she has obviously a pretty sizable place because there's a gate. So it's a big enough place to be able to gather a bunch of people. And so Peter, who has been in prison for a while, knows that's kind of where people gather. And so he heads that direction and he shows up and he starts knocking on the door. And this is maybe one of the most comedic exchanges in all of scripture. It's just awesome. I heard a couple of you guys laugh while she was reading. It's okay. The Bible can be funny. It's, it's fine. Um, but, but Peter knocks on the door and... Little Rose, Rhoda—that's what Rhoda means. Little Rose, she comes up and she's a little servant girl. And um, <laughs> she hears Peter's voice. Hey, it, it's Peter! And clearly, she knows him. She she recognizes his voice, and she acts just like Will Ferrell in Elf. Santa, Santa! You know, you know, you know that scene. Santa's coming. I know him. I know. Anyway, she acts just like that. Instead of opening the door, she runs off. It's just this, it's adorable. It's precious. It's beautiful. She is so overjoyed because she's been hanging around with all these people that for a week have been praying very specifically that God would free this man and he's here. And so she goes, it's the best witness moment. She goes and she talks to the, and she's like, Peter's here, Peter's here. And what do they say? Praise be to God. He has answered our prayers. <laughs> no, not at all. What do they do? First of all, they deny her like multiple times. And then they're like, hush now, it's his ghost, <laughs> which would just be I mean the spirit of him, which, you know, all the commentators are like, if it was a ghost, it wouldn't have waited at the door. You know just the logic, you know bad theology, <laughs> um but it's like no no that he it's it's it, it's him, and it's 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 funny and it's um and it's uh and it's and it's beautiful it's it's truly astounding. God does this miracle, and we learn a few things about prayer in particular that God hears our prayers, but we learn a little bit about prayer from this little moment, this little interchange I just want to run through a couple of them. The first thing we learn about prayer as, uh, from verse five is that it, it was corporate prayer, which I find really interesting. One commentator was talking about how, uh, if you remember, you know, when the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. He said, okay, you begin, not my father, but our father. Now, there, there's a clear sense that that prayer it's supposed to be also, or maybe primarily, I mean, Alex kind of hit on this, a corporate experience that we're supposed to be doing this with each other. Now, I'm all for like going and being silent off on some rock somewhere. That's awesome. It's really good to be away and in silence and solitude and prayer with the Lord. Awesome. Let's do that. Also, there's something about the scriptures that is highly communal, highly organically connected in prayer, not, not once in a while. And so, so all that we experience here is that we have a bunch of people that are staying together and praying together. Now, some of you are super uncomfortable praying out loud. If, you, if you're recent to the faith, if you're, if you're a young Christian, you might feel like, oh, everyone else really knows what to say. Some people are more articulate than others. They can paint like beautiful metaphors in the sky with their words or whatever, and you find yourself to not be that person. And so you prefer not to pray. And, and I just want to say, men, we're, we usually are, the worst. Um, <clears throat> just uncomfortable with trying to express what we're trying to say. And um, I, w- I want to say this part of what it means to be a Christian, part of what it means to walk with Jesus, is to learn to pray. And here's this awesome thing you want to know how you learn to pray out loud with other people? You pray out loud with other people. It's, it's, there's no magical way to go about it. If you practice alone, guess what? It doesn't work. It's not the same thing. Because the amazing thing, this is why I love praying with uh, the elders and whoever else shows up uh, before the service, we pray for 30 minutes, is that we feed on each other. If you've prayed with people for any amount of time, and I know like Steve's talked about praying with you, Daniel, and how he learned to pray, and I prayed with someone else, and I learned to pray the scriptures with them. There's, there's ways to learn to pray. It's a learning process, but, but we must do it. We, we must pray together that this prayer is, is corporate. Oh, Also, by the way, if you, you want to come and pray with us at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning, Come, learn how to pray out loud together, well, with excitement. Um, The second thing we learned about prayer in this is that um, it was imperfect praying. Some of the things I love about this passage, it was imperfect praying, that the church is praying for Peter's deliverance, and and, and Peter's a little surprised by his deliverance, and clearly the church is surprised by his, his deliverance. He shows up, Peter shows up, and they think it's impossible that he showed up after them been praying that he would show up. It's, and it's easy to be like, come on, guys, at least go check the latch, you know, like you want to help them out a little bit so that the narrative isn't quite as embarrassing for them, but they, they're praying in perfect prayers. You know what they're praying like? They're praying like you and me. They're, they're praying with a, a desire for something to be true, for, for a longing for things to be more than they are. But, but then when they experience them or see them, they're like, well, it can't be that. Like that it, it's got to be something different. It can't be exactly that way. Some of you, um, have you ever like prayed that God would give you opportunity to have conversations with someone about your faith? And then someone comes up and starts talking to you and you're like, yeah, it can't be that one. Do you know what I'm talking about, or or you have a sense an opportunity for like God's, God's stirring some things about the way in which He's made you and the way in which He wants to send you to live a life on mission, and and then someone comes to talk to you about a similar area, and you're like, yeah, that can't that can't be it. It must be something else. I, I'm I'm really busy right now, but um, and the very thing we're asking for, we we miss. We we don't step towards the very answer that God gives us now most of the time. I don't ask for orange and get orange with God. I don't know about you. That's not typically how it works for me. In this case, they were praying for deliverance for Peter, right? And it was like they were praying for orange and they got apples, still fruit, but like it confused them a little bit as to what God was doing and why he was accomplishing that. And that's why part of what it means to be praying people is that people that are on the lookout for God's rescue. That were expecting it. That were saying, In what ways are you going to move towards me in light of what I'm putting before you? What does rescue look like here? They were imperfectly praying. And it's true that every time we pray, there's a level of unbelief and doubt. Every time we pray uh, over someone as elders, or as we anoint someone with oil when they're sick or they're having, every time I have to work to, to be like, Lord, I feel inapt and inadequate here. I feel like I'm supposed to be more spiritual than I am. I think we've talked about this. We all feel that way. And, and there's the sense of, don't make promises that you maybe can't keep. God, I, don't want, I want to do some PR for you. Like, if you don't come through here, what does this mean? Like, did we not pray hard enough? Was it in, and um, But I also find that what I have to work the most at is to, to expect to see results. And when things happen and, and, and things change in people's lives, and Mike talked about this when he was talking about miracles, that, that we should expect to see them and look for them. And this is the very same principle. That in our prayers, we should seek answer because we have a God who hears Who hears our prayers? There's two particular ways in which we pray. We pray both with Jesus, not my will be done, that that I'm not going to demand, God, it has to be this way or else. That's not how it works in our relationship with God. At the same time, we have to pray with nothing is impossible with God. We have to hold both of those in tension and say, nothing's impossible with God. He can do whatever He wants, He can do whatever He wants. He has the power to accomplish whatever he chooses. So if you're sitting here and you're going, yeah, but not, that's the area which God is inviting you into, that we would pray big prayers even when our faith is wee and little and puny. Because God answers puny prayers. It is not the quantity of our faith. It is the source and the substance, the one that we're trusting in. It's not how much we trust, not how much faith we have. Well, thirdly, we see that their prayer was earnest. And this is probably the part that's captured me the most. Uh, The word earnest, or earnestly, um, is translated agonized. It's the strongest, word possible. It means intensity of feeling, of thinking, and of will. This is where uh, Pastor DeYoung, uh, Kevin DeYoung, helped me a little bit here. He said that our prayer is often dull because it has so little earnestness. It's as though we pray like no one is listening. We pray as though it will make no difference, as if nothing is at stake, that we pray without passion or, or purpose, that, that there is a sense in us that can, that can sing the, the bulldog fight song with, with earnestness and, and zeal, but our prayer is, is dull and, and, and flat. And the question is, why? why? Why is our prayer dull and flat? Why, why, as a, as, why is the church in America, evangelicalism in America n- not known in any way, shape or form, for its prayerfulness? For that when we go to other places in Africa or whatever, you're like, "Oh, oh, so y'all actually pray." If we do not earnestly gather to pray, why not? Is it because there's no need? Surely not. Is it because there is no opposition in our lives, in your life? No suffering, no strife, no conflict? No. Is it because there's no besetting sin, no temptation that's trying to drag us off? Is it because there is no devil that is prowling around seeking to devour? Is it because maybe we're self reliant and don't feel like we're actually in need of divine assistance? Or is it because we would not say this, we consider God's help to be probably negligible or secondary, and so we'll take care of it ourselves? Do we not pray because we don't think He listens? we don't think he'll help or we don't think he cares? Do we not pray because we don't think that we are worthy to receive what we're asking for or would ask for? Have we forgotten the privilege there is in prayer? That the blessings that come not just from prayer, but that come In prayer, maybe we haven't known them. Do you know, according to the scriptures, that that God stands ready and eager, not just to hear, but to move towards you as you pray, to move towards us as we pray together. That is the disposition of his heart. That in prayer, we don't primarily have to convince him that this should be a good deal for him, even if it helps us a little bit, that he is favorably disposed towards you. How, how would we pray if we believed that if we're going to sit down, Charlie, you and me and pray about something that he's favorably disposed towards us, that his desire is to say, I want, I want to give you, I want to offer you, I want to lead you towards all that is good and true and wise I can do anything. He is not fickle or capricious. And there is one who stands at his right hand interceding on your behalf right now. I think I butchered the quote on this a while ago and I didn't write it down again. So here it is. Merrick McShane, is that right? He said, how would... How would we live differently if we could hear Jesus interceding on our behalf in the room over? Like loved ones, that's, that's the reality of it is we're participants in that. And yet, and I say this, we, we, we don't pray. Um, confession. One of the reasons why we don't do prayer nights and stuff here is I don't think anybody's going to come. Or there'll be eight. There'll be eight of us. You know, the elders. We have to show up. Like it's a rule. You know. Um, but like, but it's because because honestly, it's if there's a if there if there are Bible studies or like like we're we're people of the word. You know. But like, when we think about who we are as a church, like we're we're undergirded by the word and and we're sustained by prayer. Like, and there are some of you in here who can pray. Like, you pray, pray. But we're not a praying people. And loved ones. I long for us to become a praying people. As we talk about what it means to bear witness to Jesus, we will not bear witness to Jesus if we're not praying. <laughs> like, it, it's a spiritual thing. Like, it, it doesn't happen because you got technique. Like, it just doesn't work that way. People will be and feel inconvenient to you until, until you're able to be, you see through the eyes of God that God's inviting them towards you. They're for you. And you're for them. Like, it's no longer an inconvenience because you're hearing from him and you've been praying to him. and I recognize you. You're, you're the answer to my prayer. You're coming to rescue me or I've been sent to bring rescue to you. God hears our prayers. Loved ones, God hears our prayers. And that church that prayed for Peter imperfectly and received him imperfectly, there was earnestness in it. And that's, for me, that's, that's the word of the morning. What would it look like for us to be an earnest people in prayer? that we would believe he's favorably disposed towards us and wants to move on our behalf. Well, lastly, God deals with his enemies. God sees our trials, God hears our prayers, and God deals with his enemies. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If that feels sobering, it should be. The chapter's narrative concludes with this really sobering scene You have Herod who, having killed all the guards who told him the story of how Peter got out, um, he didn't like hearing that. He didn't have to kill him, but he he wanted to, so he he chose to kill them. He goes up to Caesarea and um, he's got trouble with Tyre and Sidon. We don't know exactly what the problem is, but basically he's like their food supplier and and there's trouble there. And so they're very shrewd and they come and they say to his chambermaid, uh, Blastus, Great name for a boy, just saying. Um, (laughs) uh, And basically they bribe Blastus to get them an audience with, with Herod. And Herod, who's full of himself, uh, decides that on the day in which he's going to experience and hear their audience, he's going to, and he sets the whole thing up. It's during this particular feast that celebrates Caesar Claudius. And he he wears this full garment. This It's literally all made of silver. And he shows up at a particular time in the morning through the gates when the sun will shoot straight onto this outfit and it just glows. I mean, it's just resplendent. It just blows light everywhere. And then he goes and sits on his throne and starts talking. We don't know what he says. This is an oration. What we do know is this. We know why he's saying what he's saying. Because the world, according to Herod, is about Herod. In that moment, Luke 14, for everyone who exalts himself, Jesus said, will be humbled. Humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. <coughs> there are two dynamics that you need to know. One, God is just, and he will bring about ultimate, full, total, and complete, perfect justice upon all things. With all the, the Me Too stuff that's gone on and people that are, aren't sure that justice is going to play itself out, every time I hear any of those kinds of things, I'm like, you know what? I don't know what's going to play itself out here in a courtroom or in, a, or in a, a company or whatever, but this I know. There is one who will bring about justice and that we don't have to worry about. We don't have to question. We don't have to parse it out. He will, he will mete out perfect justice on all who deserve it. It will be right and fitting and it should make you shiver a little bit If you don't know Jesus, it should make you sure shiver a lot because God is just and he will, he will bring about perfect justice on all, on all. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Like God is actively, when I said he's favorably disposed towards you, If you're an enemy of God, if you're, if you're raising yourself up, if you're waking up in the morning, putting on your silver cloak, going out into the sunshine to try and make people be impressed with you, if that's a disposition, then you're positioning yourself as an enemy of God. And God says, I'm opposed to that. Like I'm actively working against you. And I don't know about you, but I don't want God actively working against me. I don't. I want his favor. I need, I need the buoyancy that comes from grace. I don't need, I don't need anything actively going against me. And the Lord says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to oppose you, but I'm going to give grace to the humble. And Herod experiences a very rapid and total justice upon him. Josephus, the, uh, the, uh, the Roman, Jewish, Roman, um, historian, he, he has like a super long narrative of everything that happened on that day, which is kind of cool because it's like, it matches what's in the Bible. So that's awesome. Um, but more detailed. And it says that having declared, made this great declaration and having everyone saying, you're, you sound like God. And he goes like, right in that moment, in that moment, he was struck in his stomach, it says, or in his bowels. And f- for the next five days was an excruciating pain and died five days later. So that's history. That's AD 44. Herod dies. And what, to me, it calls to us. The, the, the opposite of a prayerful people is an arrogant, proud people, right? That's the irony of this is that they actually are in opposition of one another. And so my question to you is, in what ways are you raising yourself? In what ways are you exalting yourself? Now, some of us are just really good at doing it without looking like we're doing it. Some of us are just bad at it, and everyone's like, "Wow, geez, that's embarrassing. You should be more humble, or at least hide it better, right?" You know. So, but, 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 in what ways are we raising ourselves up? What ways are we taking credit, taking glory from God for what He's done, for the blessings that He's offered us? In what ways are we, are we taking from Him or taking from His His people? And secondly, in what ways are we flattering? Because the people of Tyre and Sidon. They wanted something from Herod, and so they gave something to Herod that he would give them what they want. And some of us are not the ones who stand up and go like, yeah, it's me. I'm awesome. No, we're the kind of people who, yeah, you're awesome, and I'm going to help you do everything you can do so that you can give me everything that I want, demand, or need. And so in what ways, because those are actually two sides of the same coin, in what ways Are we opposed to God? Because you don't want to be opposed to God. And he wants to bring the right kind of conviction and the right kind of freedom to you this very moment. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What's amazing to me is um, that the result of all of this, of the persecution, uh, of Peter's imprisonment, of his release, his rescue, and even of Herod's death, is what it says in verse 24, that the word of God grew and multiplied. This is like that final declaration that God will move his purposes forward through and with, and even with opposition that he will move his perfect purposes forward. And that is to bring his gospel and his glory all the way through all the way through that he may receive all the glory. That's when we say, not to us, not to us, but to your name be the glory. And we see those kinds of song where we're undoing some of what that pride would lead us towards. And the only way that that really becomes a real thing is when we find ourselves confronted with with the cross. When we when we recognize that left to ourselves, but by the grace of God, go I, Herod. You understand that, right? That we're, we're all self-promoters, that we're all all the kind of people who will never want to, to pray truly in humility and so but by the grace of God go I and this is what the communion table reminds you of it, it, it reminds you that there is no hope but in Christ Jesus for you that you know that he hears you because, because Christ Jesus was not heard by the father he took your absence the silence that you deserve on the cross from his father and so now you belong to him you know that he sees you, that he saw you in such a pit of hopeless death and sin that it required his life. That's, that's how you know. That's why the communion table, this, this meal tells you. It reminds us that that's what Christ did for you. And it gives you life and hope and power and confidence. It gives you an opportunity to move towards God by his grace. The cross reminds us finally that the day is coming where every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord the glory of God, the Father. And no one will have to guess. No one will be fooled by by silver, glimmering clothing. We will see him as he is. And it's the anticipation of that day that this meal culminates for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that uh, because we belong to you, that you are favorably disposed towards us, that when we recognize and see the pride and the arrogance, the flattery, and the manipulation in us that we have a place to go, that we can flee to the cross, that we can find refuge and rest for our souls with you. And so, Lord, we ask this morning as we come and as we receive the elements that we would take them in with a repentant spirit, that we would open our hearts to all that you have to give to us in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, you make us prayerful people that know that not only you see us, but you hear us. And Father, would you make us keenly aware of a world that's pushing back against you and we'd have an opportunity to invite towards a gracious, loving, sovereign Father. We thank you for your love for us in Christ Jesus who received these things as your grace for life in his name. Amen. If you belong to Jesus, This is your meal. This is your opportunity to repent, to receive, to receive and see grace. So come forward and receive the body and blood of Christ for you.